Blog Talk Radio. want you to know it's too bad it, it, we don't do this via video because they would see me chair dancing yeah but yeah no, going from one buddy to the next he had an emergency come up and it's just me and Carl so where we left off was uh, we're at the end of August now and as we're getting into it the Oscar bait movies are starting to creep in, which is kind of unusual because I forgot that Oscar bait movies really came out all throughout the years before it really got boiled down to that bullshit formula and was about 95, 96. Yeah, something like that. When all of them started coming out in November because they realized if it came out early in the year, the minds would forget. Mm-hmm. And sadly, that shows that the Oscar voters are kind of stupid. True. Mm-hmm. Sure. We're going to start with Oxford Blues. Yes, this was sold as your regular teen romance, but this movie is a horrible case of what happens when you get someone who's obsessed with rowing. And who was on the row, 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 row your boat gently down the yeah. stream? They Come on, sing with me. Row, no, never mind. <laughs> they wouldn't use that gag in the movie, Carl. They're like rowing the boat, row, row, row your boat. Oh, and God. then they have like Rob Lowe and stuff. But what's funny is that the rowing team that they use for the stunts in the movie are the same rowing team that William Pleader Blatty used at the first of Exorcist 3. Probably not the same people, but the same team. Yeah, it was the (laughs) same people. Well, that's seven years later. I know. They were the only stunt rowing movie movie team that there was. (laughs) You got to think, that's a limited... Fucking, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Maybe it's the same team in, in the Magic Christian, for God's sake. Who knows? But you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. It was filmed in the, what, well, what it was, it was filmed in the same area, and they were looking for a rowing team. And the, this amateur team that rowed in competitions on the weekend came up with them. And then they said, by the way, we're in another movie, Oxford Blues. 
Oh, cool. They met and bonded on that movie, and they rode together ever since. Yep. Now, moving on. And now we're really getting into, well, this movie I've seen on VHS, and and I didn't know who the hell Alan Rudolph was, Keith Carradine was, uh, or any of the actor and actresses in there. Just listen to this cast, besides I just said. Genevieve Bujold, Leslie Ann Warren, Radon Chong, John Larroquette. This is one of the most oddest and most beautiful romance movies ever made, and that is Choose Me. This stars Keith Carradine as a guy who just walks out of an insane asylum, and his mental illness is that he compulsively has to have every woman he meets fall in love with him. And that's the whole plot of the movie. Well, Jean-Pierre Bouchold is also a radio talk show host who who talks about love issues. Uh, Leslie Ann Warren runs a bar that he goes into. Don't forget Patrick Yeah, that was the original title of the movie. Right. And don't forget Patrick Backow's in this, too, who is uh, uh, um, partnered with Ray Dong Chong. John Larroquette has a small role as a uh, bartender, which he actually is the same bartender that's in Remember My Name, which is back a couple years in another Rudolph film. Um, Oh, nice. And it's a... Quirky doesn't even start to to describe this movie. And you got Genevieve Bujol's character wrong. She's a sex therapist on on a radio show Who's never fucked. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the one thing I love about the director, Alan Rudolph was a protege of Altman. So there's very much the same sense of ensemble cast and so on and so forth. But the real difference is that Rudolph is a romantic. He did love with love. He's in love with love, and every one of his movies, even the ones that aren't about that, are about that. Yeah. And, and, and and just wonderful director. This is the movie that really turned me on to him. I'm one of the few people that actually saw this in a theater. And because I knew he was an old person. If you yeah. ask 90% yeah. of Alan Rudolph fans, what was the first film of his they saw and loved? Ninety-nine percent of them will say, "Choose me." Oh yeah, absolutely. And it has a great friggin' soundtrack. Absolutely fucking killer soundtrack. Teddy Pendergrass. Oh so, yeah. This one maybe it's on our. You have to see this list of the nineteen eighty-four films. You have to. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And watch this on Valentine's Day with some of your love. <laughs> and, and make sure they're just Valero, a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> and next is Valero, which we crapped on last episode. but And next is Chemical Hazardous Underground Disposal. What? No, no. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Damn it, get it right. <laughs> Otherwise well, known as Chud. 
<laughs> and this is one movie when it first came out, everyone thought this was a horrible piece of shit for 30 seconds. And then we found out that New World Pictures, and this is after Roger Corman left to carry on from last night, hired a blind, idiotic, I'm disabled, I can say this, retarded, mongoloid, stupid person to re-edit this film. And they randomly put scenes wherever the fuck they wanted. (laughs) Yep. And would you believe I had free tickets to the premiere? I was there with with the producer. Now, I have a story about this. I went to a class at the new school in New York. I was living in New York at the time. And the new school is one of these schools that for continuing education, and they bring in people from the entertainment to talk about things. I had a course there uh, on animation, uh, you know, and various things. So I had a class with Andrew Bonim. He brought in John Hurd and Daniel Stern to talk to us, brought in the director to talk to us, and then we went to the uh, we went to the uh, uh, premiere. As a class, we went and saw it. We got an e- we, we, we got a not even an email because you couldn't get emails back then. But we got a phone call from the director in the next day or so that basically saying that's not my fucking movie. Yeah, here's something. Did he mention in class that him and the producer didn't know how bad they fucked this film up until oh, the no, night that, of the premiere? That whole. That whole uh, 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 not during the class because it wasn't released yet. Yeah. Okay? So it was not until after we went to see it as a class. A couple of days later, we got this phone call from Bonim and then from Douglas Cheek uh, saying they really fucked up our movie. And it, The movie <coughs> itself was 89 minutes. The mm-hmm. original cut, which is on DVD, is 96 minutes. Right. And they took Another the scene that's do. basically the center of the movie. That's uh, the scene with the cops and uh, the role with what's-his-name from uh, Roseanne and the Connors. John Goodman. John Goodman's not and even in the movie. You no, 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 no. You're wrong. It's not Goodman. Goodman's not in the film at all. Yeah, he's one of the cam. He's one of the cops that cameo at the. No, no, movie. he's not. You, you, you got, you got the wrong guy. He's not. He is not in this movie. But what they did is they took the scene of where the cops got massacred that's supposed to be the middle of the movie. And pretty much the first time you see the monsters in good light. And put that at the fucking end of the movie. (laughs) Yep. By then, New World Pictures was run by idiots uh, 
Roger Corman had already left to do New Horizons. Yeah, it, it, they they did ruin it. There's no question about it. But it's been redeemed. Well, the funny thing is, once it hit hit uh, VHS, uh, and even before that. People liked it so much that what was it? Six years later, they 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 came up with a sequel. Early nineties. Yeah. Well, the movie did good at box office. It was a hit. Yeah. And I don't think it was. And you know, you know my I beloved mean, gray market scene, Carl. Yeah. Pretty much about four or five months after the movie came out. His director's cut was on the gray market, and he doesn't know how it got there, but he would like to thank whoever made sure that the movie was intact and letterboxed and in a perfect version on the bootleg circuit. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's gotten more and more of a, a, a sort of like it's like a guilty pleasure type of film, and, and people like it. And 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 th- there's a lot to like about it. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. this, the sequel is not nearly as good, even though it has Gary Graham, who I adore. Yeah. Yeah, but like I said, the people's reaction in '84, I didn't like. I hated the movie with all my heart when it came out in '84. Mm-hmm. But then I saw the re-edit, and I'm like. This makes sense. It's actually fun. Yeah. Why did... I don't know why they re-edited it. It's like, they're like, the mandate was uh, make it 90, make it under 90 minutes and make the monsters come in the movie sooner. And if you get Cinema Sewer Volume 3 by Robin Bougie, he has a cover on it. I want to make... In my opinion, a better sequel than Bud the Judd. Oh, and what is that? It shows uh, that have been turned into Chud, dragging the pimp that beat them down into a sewer. <laughs> Just think of that as the image, and that for the third book. That would make a hell of a sequel, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm, yep. I'll get that cover for you. You can see it. It's just one of those like, yeah, they really should have gone full New York with it. Yeah, yeah. I I happen to agree with you on that, actually. I happen to agree with you on that. And next is a movie that I don't think it's on DVD. Yeah, I don't think it's on DVD now, or if it is, it's out of print. And it's one of the better... JFK conspiracy movies that isn't a JFK conspiracy movie because they don't state that it's a JFK conspiracy movie. That's a mouthful, ain't it? Yeah, that is a mouthful. It's Flashpoint with Williams and Chris Christopherson. Yeah, do you know know what? I'm not sure about this, but I'm pretty sure that Vicky... Uh, our mistress of sci-fi somehow got got a uh, uh, was at a preview of this and and was able to to 
tell them uh, her thoughts on this movie. I'm pretty sure this is the film. It's a pretty, pretty sure. good movie. What it is is two uh, Texas Rangers find this uh, buried uh, car out in the desert with a guy with a hole shot in his head and a ri- and basically the same kind of rifle that shot Kennedy. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a movie if you haven't seen it. Have you seen it, Carl? No, I actually have not. But but with that uh, cast, Chris Christopherson, Treat Williams, Rip Torn, uh, Kurtwood Smith, Miguel Ferrer. Yeah, yeah. that's that. Tessa Harper. Yeah. I mean, it's real obscure. It's one of those. It's like, why? You know, they really didn't put mm-hmm. it out there. Is what they did. I mean, the ending is even a dark 70s ending. Uh, what happened was is Treat Williams won't give up. And uh, he ends up getting killed. So the bad guys go up to Chris Christopherson and he said, are you going to be like him? He said, hell no. And he said, what are you going to do? There's like, 10, there's like $5 million in this Jeep. I'm taking this and I'm walking out and y'all can go fuck yourselves. And then he takes yep. it back and throws it down, and that's the end of the movie. Yep. How 70s is that, Carl? That's 70s. I, I'll grant you that. Yeah. And next is a movie, if you, can, if you get a lot of the public domain sci-fi box sets, You'll pretty much find it on there, won't you, Carl? Yep. It deserves a and real good Blu-ray, though. This one deserves any good DVD company, please, Blu-ray company, please put this out. Remaster it. We need a Blu-ray of John Sells, the brother from another planet. Oh, seriously. With Joe Orton's sales commentary. Oh, fuck, yes. Yeah. And and with sales, of course. Sales is stolen. Yeah. Uh, I saw this in the theater, and it was one of the great experiences of my life. I love this movie. It's a movie that really turned me on to Joe Morton. Joe Morton plays this alien that comes in from outer space, and uh, he can't he can't talk, so it's all about reaction. And he ends up in Harlem. Say that again, Stephen? And he's an escaped slave, too, if you remember. Yeah, absolutely. And he's got these guys after him to bring him back to the the, the spaceship. And, and, and it's just such a wonderful film. It, it really is. And it's all about characters. Now, John Sayles... Uh, you know, had written uh, Alligator, had had written Piranha, and he was given this chance to do his own screenplay. And it's just amazing. Now, now we each have different parts of the movie that that scenes that we love. So I'm going to kick it over to Steve. Steve, tell him the the one the one scene you love out of this film. I can tell three, but my favorite one is. John sells himself, and the other 
bounty hunter finding a trace of Joe Morton and them just screaming at each other in this alien language, which is just bullshit. They screamed at each other. (laughs) 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 And there is humor to it, but there's also a lot of heart. Pathos. Uh, heart to the film too one of my favorite um, scenes is that Joe Morton is on the subway and this magician comes up and shows him some tricks and that and they're they're getting to the end of the line and, and he says and now for my last trick uh, all the white people are going to disappear and it's 59th street on the 8th so the next stop is 125th which is Harlem all the white people go off and 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 somewhat humorous, but very real, at the divide. You know, and 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 you're going into the ghetto now. Uh, another yeah. thing that I got to talk about real briefly about this film is the wonderful, fantastic uh, uh, Steve James, who plays the bartender, oh, and he's just so wonderful. Bill Cobbs too. Bill Cobbs has a great role in this. Really good, solid uh, character actors. Joe Morton, you know, you'll know him from from so many different things. Uh, Crossroads and and um, Eureka. Uh, he had a, a role in Eureka, the TV show. Uh, but just a fantastic film. Have to, have to, have to see it. This is a definite. Yeah. You've got to see. And two more scenes, you know. It's the best Steve James scenes in the movie. He's sitting there with the alien guy, and he's like, you see that? And he makes a big muscle. You see, you know why I got those? When I was a kid, these five white boys come up and beat the shit out of me every day. Until one day I said, I ain't going to take that no more. So I started lifting weights. And after maybe about three or four months of that, I started beating the crap out of them white boys, and I liked that feeling. And I told myself I ain't never going to lose that feeling ever again. Yeah. And the second is a whole subplot where uh, he falls in love with this uh, jazz singer. Or is it? No, she's a blues singer, ain't she? She's a blues singer, yeah. And oh, I got one more on that. And she ends up screwing him. And then she says, Baby, I love you and you great and bad, but you got to get something done about them toenails. (laughs) Now, let me tell you something which you don't know. I have have problems with my fungal and, and so on and so forth. I got toenails. Maybe not as bad as those in that movie, but yeah. but damn, if that one didn't didn't hit me hard and I laughed and I went, oh shit! I mean, yeah, I really love that one. That's the only alien part of his body you see in the entire movie because they didn't have a budget for an alien suit, and it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And the saddest scene in this movie is there's a scene where he walks over to Liberty Island. 
Ellis Island. Ellis Island. Ellis Island. He gets to Ellis Island and he puts his hands on the wall and he hears the stories of almost every immigrant who came to America. Mm-hmm. Including those that came from his home planet. Yeah. Yeah. This it's just like it's a must see. Pretty much Absolutely. almost every movie we're getting into the next little bit here is gonna be you must see it. Yep. And next is one that's based on a play. Carl doesn't like it this much, and I watched it because they sold it as a mystery. And what I got was a hell of a lot more, and it's a shoulder story. Directed by Norman Jewison. A screenplay by Charles Fuller from his play, and this has Howard, Howard Rollins, Art Evans, David Allen Greer, David Harris, Robert Townsend, Denzel Washington, Patti LaBelle, Wings Hauser, and in his only Oscar Academy nominated role, the great Adolf Caesar. Yep. Yep. This is an almost all black cast, and it is so fucking good. Well, Adolf Caesar really is that good. I don't know why he didn't win. He deserved it. I agree. He is I agree. one of the scariest motherfuckers I've ever seen in a screen ever. And he's good, too. I mean, such, such a great role. Um, one other guy you're just forgetting, uh-huh. uh, who's one of the white guys, that, that uh, the, the, the real racist white guy, yeah. is Dennis Lipscomb. And do you remember where you know Dennis Lipscomb from? Where? Eyes of Fire. Oh, yeah. Yep. He's a real racist. What happens is this whole movie is based around Adolf Caesar's sergeant character getting murdered. Mm -hmm. And even at the first, he... Hey, he has one of the most devastating lines ever that doesn't pay off until the end. He's like, you know what? And it's the first line in the movie. They still hate you. Yep. And this is set in World War II right before the blacks were about to go off the fight. And... There is, it's basically the conflict between him and the CJ, who's like a blues player, one of the good old boy type blacks, who the ones who are trying to really move up in the world hated. Mm-hmm. Or as they don't see this Ken Collins, he said, them Genchi, Yassa, Massa type coons that hold us back as a race. He has a whole speech in there where he talks about over in France where he murdered this guy because he dressed up as a monkey and danced for all the white soldiers and the French women. And he even said, he's like, and the damn fool didn't even know why we were cutting his throat with a straight razor. Jesus. 
and the way Jewison filmed it, the darker the story got that he was telling, the darker the film got. It's like everything just vanished. Mm-hmm. And it, yep. it's just good. And Denzel Washington, this is one of the first roles that made me notice him. The first role I saw him in is a movie that you're going to say, why? And that's okay. uh, one, what is it, uh, where he played George Siegel's son? Oh, that thing. Oh, God. No, no. Why? Why? <laughs> that's the first. Carbon it, copy. That's, that's Wasn't that carbon first... copy? Yeah. Oh, God. That was just the first film I saw Denzel Washington. I was like, I don't think this boy is going to be any good. Mm-hmm. But then a soldier story come up, and damn. Mm-hmm. Yep. And next is the Oscar winner of the year, Amadeus. I like to play better because the weird thing is, is the play doesn't focus on the music. And the movie focuses too much on the music. Well, personally, I think it needs to be, the music needs to be there. Uh, that was the one thing about the film I liked. However, I'm not a fan of either the film or or the, the uh, uh, play simply because too many liberties are taken. I know... Uh, no, I studied. Yeah. I did a couple papers on this in college, uh, and and did a lot of research. And there's just a bunch of bullshit here. Now that yeah. doesn't mean it's not well done. That doesn't mean that it's not well acted or well directed. No, F. Abraham earned his Oscar. He was. Uh, I'm not disagreeing with that, but what I'm telling you is, it ain't. It's all bullshit. Well, let me just bring up one not, biggest fact. In the movie, it had Salieri, jealous and hateful of Mozart. Mm -hmm. In real life, Salieri was Mozart's musical pimp. Well, not exactly. Not exactly. Though though he did do that to a certain degree. He introduced him to some people that that then... and, and, And I'm not saying he wasn't jealous either. But Salieri was too fucking busy to really pay attention. He was well, he was well, under I mean, a, he was uh, bored of his agent, so if Mozart made money, he made money. Not particularly. Not in real life. Uh uh Well that's he would get he would get indulgences that that from the truth, you know okay, what I mean. Explain. Let me explain. Let me explain. So Salieri introduces Mozart to this one count. The count hires Mozart. He would get a gift. Salieri would get a gift. Not generally money, but something. Okay, maybe sometimes money. That's how that worked out. It was it was not, you know, it was in deference to what he did. Uh, but what I was saying is Salieri was under the auspices of three different counts. So he was writing music like friggin' crazy, you know, and all this, you know, I want to kill him. I'm, I'm, you know, that's all bullshit. Yeah, bullshit. All bullshit. The best bullshit. way to 
describe it for the modern people, it's <coughs> like the monkeys taking uh, Jimi Hendrix out on tour. Yeah. That, that's not a bad uh, analogy, actually. Yeah. Because Saliari was big back then. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, as I said, he was under basically contract with three counts. So he was writing shit like constantly. This is maybe why his music isn't nearly as uh, 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 good in terms of uh, um, uh, quality and that sort of thing because he's just turning it out like a factory, which he made money at, so he was fine. Yeah. And what I really like is Tom Hulse's performance as Mozart. From all I've read, Mozart wasn't... Yeah, Mozart was not a fucking idiot. Yeah, he's not as silly as they make him in the movie. No, not even close. And I doubt anybody in the court of a count or a viscount back then would fart in the middle of a concert or fart under the table. Oh, I'm sure maybe they farted. I don't think they fucked under the table. Yeah. But I, I would say they probably farted. It was like, hey, Tom Hulse is in Animal House. Let's make Mozart act like you did in Animal House, which wasn't in the yeah, play. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, I didn't like it. Moving on. And next is one of the sweetest fucking comedies to come out of the 80s. Absolutely. And this is, and it's from the time when Steve Martin was God. Mm-hmm. If you don't like sweet, gentle comedies and you don't like all of me, then what the fuck is wrong with you? And basically, uh, 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 Lily Tomlin dies, takes over Steve Martin's body to find out who killed her. And it's good. Oh, it's it's great. There's some great physical comedy. There, there there's wonderful, wonderful uh, um, camaraderie between Martin and Tomlin. Uh, also, a great role for Richard Libertini, one of the great comic character actors in the '80s and '90s. Um, really good, solid uh, movie. And do you know who wrote this? Now, Carl Reiner directed it, but do you know who wrote it? Bill Alden Robinson and Henry Oleg. Okay, Bill Alden Robinson. How do you know that name? I don't know how. He wrote and directed Fields of Dream. Cool, but really, in the 80s, if you've seen... This was his first movie that, that he really got the ability to do what he wanted with that particular piece. Yeah, uh, this movie was a five hit. Oh, yeah, this was definitely a big hit. But then, going I back, would... looking back, we should have realized every time that you've seen starring Steve Martin and directed by... Da, 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 Carl Reiner. David. Carl Reiner. That's a sure thing. You know what the else jerk. they did, right? The man with What's two brains. What's the other movie they did? And 
Uh, let's see. Uh, dead men don't do plaid. Wear plaid. That, that's the one I was thinking of. Dead men don't wear plaid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God damn, that's a hell of a, that's a hell of a partnership. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And this one, next one, is one of those that has performances that really make the movie better than it has any rights to be, and that's Places in the Heart. And I'm not talking about Sally Field. Mm-hmm. Well, she won I'm the Oscar. I'm talking Danny Glover kicking ass, John Malkovich kicking ass, and Ed Harris kicking ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget Terry O'Quinn either. Yeah. Sellerfield is good, but God damn, was those three great. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And here's one I'm mentioning just because uh, this was one of his uh, work for payrolls, and that's rare, and that's uh, country with Jessica Lange and same Sham Shepard. Not a good movie, but eh. I could think of worse things. <laughs> yeah, like irreconcilable differences. That's one that they need to take every print of it out and burn it. <laughs> True. True. That one is not good. Ugh. Here's a weird one, and it's uh, Cameron Crowe's follow-up screenplay to... Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High and really was the star of his directing career because he thought after director, in his words, screwed up the wildlife so badly that he said that he will not let anyone fuck up his scripts besides him. And he's done a good job at it. Yeah, absolutely. And if they're fuck ups, they're his. And he owns them. We bought a zoo, for example. Uh, But... And next is one that I liked in the 80s, but really it hasn't aged that well, and that's Teachers, directed by Arthur Hiller. I mean, I ain't going to lie. Nick Dolte is good. Joe Beth Williams is good. Jared Hirsch is good. Ralph Macchio is good. Crispin Gover, Morgan Freeman, Laura Dern, Richard Mulligan is fucking great. Oh, and don't forget Alan Garfield. Alan Garfield has the best fucking scene in that whole movie. Yeah. Seriously. I mean, it's a brutal film. It works, but it doesn't work. And I can't explain why it ages as bad as it has. Well, well, uh, I, I think it's because it's too black and white. I think that's the problem with it. And it's too much of its time that the problems are of its time. Um, I have a... My sister just passed away uh, earlier this year, and she was visiting me at the time. And we went to see this together in the theater. So I I have memories of her because of this particular film. It's okay. It's not great. 
And next is, I have to mention this because you all were, I'm not like you. I'll admit when my when a director I love makes a bad film, and why the fuck is Sidney Lumet doing Garbo Talks? What <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? Listen, I just think, <clears throat> I'll admit that, that one of my directors makes a bad film. But but uh uh yeah, yeah, this this one just doesn't work. And here's the second film of uh Alan Rudolph in nineteen eighty four and it's actually pretty goddamn good too just because of the level of acting in it and that songwriter. Uh it's actually one of my favorites of his that's sort of been forgotten over the years. Uh, and and Willie Nelson is just great in this Chris Christopherson. Rip Torn again. Uh, 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 Rudolph liked Rip Torn for a period of time, uh, yeah. and it's a real simple. You know, it's it's basically about. Uh, 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 let me get to here the plot. Basically, he's a country and western composer, plays devious tricks to extricate himself from his legal enta- entanglement with a Nashville gangster entrepreneur, and that's Willie Nelson. And uh, he uh, has goes to his old singing partner, Chris Christopherson. And, uh, uh, again, Leslie Ann Warren is in this. Uh, and they want to, they all want to get uh, uh, back on the ground and doing songs again. And let's put on a show. And it's a lot of fun. And, again, it's it's the romance, too. There's uh, a lot, a lot here is the romance. I love trying. I, I like the film. And here's uh, two funny things. One of my favorite line was going to be a second. What's the name of Rip Torn's character and songwriter? I forget. The exact same name of his character in Payday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes, and you're the right. Scene where he's trying, Rip Torn's trying to get Willie Nelson to invest in bull semen. Yes. <laughs> And uh, Chris Christopher looks at him and said, do you uh, collect the bull semen by hand? He's like, yes, it's collected, but I collect every one myself. And he said, well, how long does it take you to jack one of those off? <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I love, I, I, I'm a huge Alan Rudolph fan, even when he makes mistakes, and trust me, he has. Uh no doubt, you still need to watch. This is, and this ain't a mistake. This is a good raunchy little comedy. <laughs> I don't know if I would call this a comedy. I mean, it is, but good God! <clears throat> We're talking about the next one, right? <laughs> yeah, the next. No, I'm talking about songwriter. Well, songwriters are good, good comedy. Okay. And Carl, yeah. don't you know I'm trying to save your soul, you fucking cunt? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Anthony Perkins. Yes, you're you're channeling you're channeling Anthony Perkins, and I guess I'm channeling Kathleen Turner. I'm ca- Kathleen Turner. This may be one no. of the most. Don't this wear white after most... after uh, uh, a Memorial Day, you. Fuck! Yeah. <laughs> no, wrong, wrong Kathleen Turner movie. Sorry. <laughs> uh, this 
may be the most Ken Russell film of the 80s. <laughs> that might be the there most no Ken one Russell film of the 80s. When Ken he Russell makes crimes of passion. This one is just full on Ken Russell, and you're just sitting there. Ah! <laughs> and we didn't even see the uncut version when it came out. Trust me. Yeah. We, I mean, you got uh, Kathleen Turner as a stockbroker who plays a prostitute, who becomes a S and M prostitute at night. You got uh, Anthony Perkins as a street preacher with a razor blade dildo, and who's on poppers <laughs> for real. <laughs> Yes, Anthony and he's Perkins one of the more normal characters. <laughs> throughout the movie. So when he was stoned, he wasn't acting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you got Andy Potts, the cold, frigid bitch. Don't forget and our boy Bruce Davison here. almost steals the movie from Kathleen Turner. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This one is just so good. It's so fucked up. Anthony Perkins is having the time of his fucking life. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Let me save this fucking cunt from her stupid (laughs) fucking mind. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And uh, Kathleen Turner, a, it, it, it took her 10 years to admit that she's having fun, but she said after she made the film, oh, I'm so embarrassed about that film. I hated it. And during the time I was watching it, I'm like, bullshit, you're having fun, bitch. Don't lie. Bullshit. <laughs> and she did. I mean, the way that she was fucking with, uh, uh, what's his name, Anthony Perkins. Oh, yeah. They're just having a blast. Yeah. I was a bad little I was a bad little altar boy tonight. Do you wanna come and fuck my ass, huh? uh <laughs> father? I'm not Catholic, you <laughs> stupid bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Only Ken Russell could get away with that line. My God. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and, and what the hell is the movie? What would you call it? Uh, is it a comedy? I think there's certainly... It's a it's very black, funny. dark, fucked up, edible comedy. <laughs> yep. And I love yep. the ending, too, because it goes back to Psycho. Yes. Yep. This is Crimes of Passion is a movie that Stanley Kubrick wanted to fucking make when he made Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, but but Kubrick it was all is always afraid to get dirty. Ken Russell, however, had no problem with that. Oh yeah, he's like, yo, let's roll the horse shit, the cow shit, the pig shit, the goddamn, let's get dirty. 
Yeah, I can yeah. remember you got, Roger you got, Ebert being pissed off that this movie was good. Yes. <laughs> How dare this movie be good? <laughs> yep. And if you see it Definitely. uncut, it's even more insane than what we're describing. Oh, absolutely, and 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 it is a must-watch. However, yeah. caveat: if you if you have any problem at all with uh, <laughs> really going overboard on the sexual end of this, uh, you might want to skip this one. And you remember how <laughs> I always say that uh, Popeye was just made. Uh, Robin Williams made Popeye too early in his career. Yes, I I would say that. I would say the same thing about Bill Murray and the Razor's Edge. Yeah, I I, I would also agree with you on that too. But he was good in that. It's just everyone else was not taking him seriously, and you could tell. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame because he, you know, Bill Murray worked on the screenplay with John Byram on this, and this was a real uh, passion project for Bill. He wanted to let people know that he wasn't just a comedian. And it took him a while later where everyone realized that. But, man, you know, you look at this now, and if you look at this film now, it's, it's a just miss in a lot of ways. Just not quite there, but you could see he was giving it his all at the time. And, and, and I had I had nothing but uh, uh, respect for him at the uh, time I saw that, which was uh, after it was out, but I saw it on uh, uh, on uh, VHS. And I was, yeah. I was actually impressed. It was... Well, I think you just covered it all. And here's the answer to this question. What's the best concert movie of the 80s? What's the best concert movie ever? Certainly this would be in the top five. And that stopped making sense. This is a great movie. Probably one of Jonathan Demme's top three movies. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it is amazing. It's amazing. This I want movie to see is this so movie. good that when the extended version came out on Criterion with an hour's extra footage, we were pissed off that it was only an hour. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, I went to see this with a very close friend of mine who was very much into Talking Heads at the time. And, and, and Jeff and I went to see this. And, uh, you know, I I liked Talking Heads, but I wasn't nearly as into it as he was. He was like, it was like he took all these drugs and it took him like two days to come down. Me, maybe one day. It was that good. And to this day, you can find it on YouTube um, uh, when they do uh, uh, Take Me to the River with Bernie Worrell and all those people in the background, man, that is just, 
that's one of the most incredible things songs ever put out live I've ever seen. It's uh, amazing. Who was the lead of Talking Heads, David Byrne? Yes. He said that after watching Top Making Sense, he he wept after that movie was over. Because he knows that him and that band would never be that good again. Yeah. It's serious. Seriously, I can understand that. You hear completely. bands talk about their best show ever, and they're like, oh, that was our best ever. We were at our peak at just that moment. This is a rare occasion where that moment is captured on film. Yeah. Very much so. And this wasn't even nominated for best documentary. Nope. Or best movie. Nope. nope. Nope, nope, nope. Thief of Hearts, American Dreamer. And here's a movie we're going to be fight about, and I'm just going to say, fuck you, this movie is good. It's a hell of a parody of the erotic thriller and giallo genre. I fucking love Body Double. You're a fucking idiot for not liking it. Well, you know what? The only way I can get through it is give me about four fucking Motrins. you got to agree it's got uh, one of the best best slasher gags ever. Not nearly as good as Phantom of the Paradise, which is all regurgitated to Palma. It's all regurgitated yeah. to Palma. But you he's know done what it better in earlier films. Those. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Or he's walking towards the girl with the drill, and then right before the drill, his plug-in runs out. Yeah. And then he walks out, and you're like, oh, God, she's safe. And then he comes back with an extension cord. Yeah. I mean, I mean That's it's... fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> what killer would even think about having an extension cord? Uh, I I don't know. I just think it's way too much. I think it's way over the top. And and this is one of the few movies where you can say Craig Wasson was great. Greg Henry is fucking great in this. Melody Griffith is great. Dennis Franz is fucking great. I don't know. All the acting in that, with the exception of Wasson, uh, is 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 like watching uh, 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 what's his name from Goodfellas, Pesci. It's like all fucking over the top. No thanks. Sorry. And then there's Firstborn, which is like Michael Apton at his worst. But it did get actually. You could call. Oh, hold on, Stephen. 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 Don't call it firstborn. Yeah. Call it stillborn. No, there's only one good thing in this movie, and he's not in it enough. And he's so fucking good that you get pissed off when Peter Weller is not in the movie. Yeah, it's not a good movie. Yeah, but Peter Weller's good. Like, like that one scene that's where that's he's that's uh, doing like the great Santini stuff, just slapping. Pow! He, that little boy. Pow! You're going to cry now? Pow! You're going to be a little bitch? 
Pow! Come on, cry for me, bitch. Pow! You know, we treat you like a little bitch. <laughs> and the guy and the hero boy is such a whiny little prick in the movie that immediately you survive, you side with Peter Weller. <laughs> You're cheering every time he slaps him. Yeah, I hate that movie. Fucking hate that film. And here's the answer to the question. What's the worst concert movie of the 1980s? And that would be Give My Regards to Broad Street. Broad Street. God damn, was that a horrible fucking movie. Yeah, and you can thank uh, Paul McCartney for the screenplay to this piece of shit. The best way to describe Get My Way of Broad Street is that one scene from The Simpsons where Baby Bart is running, walking around the house, banging on the pot, going, I am so great! I am so great! <laughs> yeah. Yep. Moving on. A movie that we are going to do, and I'm sorry we missed this month, I've been sick, and that is the best movie about Paris, Texas that don't even fucking take place in Paris, Texas. I'm going to save everything I want to say about this movie to when we finally do it. Uh, But let's just say three words, or actually four. Harry Dean fucking Stanton. Period. And next, there was this Period. little movie that came out, this little B movie. It was made by the guy who uh, did the set design in Galaxy of Terror, and he had just done Piranha 2. Would you think this guy would have made a good movie? No. Nope. I got a story about this when you're done, so go finish up. Yeah. And that little movie, which ended up just exploding at the box office, was The Terminator, with Arnold Schwarzenegger kicking ass, Michael Bean kicking ass, Linda Hamilton kicking ass, Paul Winfield kicking ass, Lance Henriksen, and this one goofy guy who gets killed as a punk rocker at the first of the movie. Nothing, he didn't ever amount to nothing, did he? Who's that? Bill Paxton. Oh, yeah, Bill Paxton. And don't forget either that that uh, Dick Miller's in this, too. Yeah. He plays... Walter Paisley. Paisley. Who gets killed in it? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now, now I got a story about this. So, I knew who James Cameron was, and and I and so the movie came out in New York. It was huge. It, I mean, it stayed around forever and ever. And I refused to go see it. I wasn't going to go see it because the guy's an asshole. He did Piranha too? What a piece of shit! You know, who cares about? And so I had two friends of mine basically grab me. And and, and uh, what do they call that uh, uh, when you're drinking too much and they come in and they try to stop you? 
Yeah, they did an intervention and literally dragged me to the theater, the only theater where I was playing three months later, and made me sit down and watch it. I'm not joking. And uh, I came out of it thinking, damn, that was a good movie. It's Cameron's best, if you ask me. Fuck Terminator 2. Yeah, actually, I like I like Terminator better than Terminator 2. I happen to agree with you. I still think Terminator 2 is Arnold okay. was scary as shit. Yeah. He had three lines in it. See, the thing I loved about it is that's all he said with that accent, and it worked. And, of course, one of my no, favorite lines of all time he's ever said. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. One of the, my favorite lines he ever said. Fuck you, you asshole. Yeah, that's hilarious. It's like, this guy's like, it smells like a cat died in there. And then this list popped up. Fuck you, asshole. And, of course, the first appearance of I'll Be Back. But that won't work because you didn't know because they had that 30-second bump before he drove the car in the police station. Right, exactly. Just around. I'll be back. And then it just gets quiet, and you're like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Boom, crash. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I still would have liked to have seen the Terminator with Lance Henriksen as the Terminator. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. And yes, Lance Henderson gave Cameron shit on the set of Aliens. Saying, yeah, you cast me as Bishop because you fucked up and didn't cast me as a Terminator, ain't it? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Michael Bean, uh, Bill Paxton... Uh, Lance Henriksen, they all became part of uh, Cameron's crew. Yeah, very much so. This one was another surprise. And then we got Terror in the Isles, which I like, but I wish it was a lot better than it was. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's the Killing Fields, which wasn't that bad. I actually liked it. Oh, that's a good film. That's a good film. Uh, And, of course, it was up for numerous Oscars. Uh, And and Hang Nagore is just fantastic. And it was one of the few films he did before he passed (laughs) away very suddenly. Um, And Spalding Gray is in this. He didn't pass away suddenly. Somebody killed him. Yeah, true. But you got Sam Waterston, good. Hangus Noir, good. Craig T. Nelson, good. John Malkovich, Julian Sands, Spalding Gray, Bill Patterson. Bill Patterson, don't forget Bill Patterson. Love him. Bill Patterson. Okay, good. And this is a good movie that led to a good movie. Okay. 
which came out the next year, which was Spalding Gray swimming to Cambodia. Which was about his his experiences filming the Killing Fields. Yeah. I ended up I ended up doing a uh, audition at Spalding Gray's uh, 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 apartment in New York. Yeah. You. Yeah. And what's funny, my favorite story from Swimming in Cambodia is where he talks about going to this hooker and getting an STD, getting it cured and going back again, getting the same STD, and he said, this time I know what to do. I waited two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And next is a movie that flopped. At the box office, I mean, this movie did not make any money. It was on the worst of the year lists. Oh, but it hit VHS. And then everybody's like, Boom. take our money, please. Yeah. And that would be a nightmare on Elm Street. Creep. You can criticize the rest of the sequels if you want, but the first one is good up to the last two minutes. It's so perfect up to the last two minutes. (laughs) Yeah, the last two minutes is a bit of a cheat. I'll I'll grant you that. I'll I'll grant you that. But if you're talking sequels, I I, I have to at least say you got to see number three. And you got to see number six, A New Nightmare. Yeah, A New Nightmare. That's seven. Right. Six is Freddy's dead. No, no, no. New Nightmare, not six. New Nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you like Freddy's dead? Oh, God. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I miscounted. Anyone that Wes Craven is hands-on is good. What? Yeah. And where did he get the killer's name, uh, Fred Krueger, from, Carl? I don't know. Maybe it was South African, uh, Krueger Ant. I have no fucking clue. Last House on the Left. What was the name of the main killer played by David Hess? Oh, Krueger. Krug. Yeah, Krug Stillo. Yeah. There we go. But yeah, first one is a classic. And for and for most people, they were like Robert England. Who's that? And me, I'm like Robert England, the fucking sweet alien from fucking Z. <laughs> he can't be really? scary. Yeah, Willie. Willie can't be scary. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> Yeah. And here is, well, we had the best, in my opinion, the best Craig Wasson movie. No, Ted Wass. Oh, sorry. This is a movie, uh, why the fuck was this made other than... Why why are you even talking about it? Keep moving. You don't want to talk about, oh, God, you you love your movie religious metaphors. Not this one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> move it, move it, move it, move it, move it, goddamn. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, it's not as bad as Surviving Christmas, but it's pretty fucking bad. 
keeping you on one. And all i got to say about this one is, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming, da, 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 da. Um. I think this had the shortest theater run of any movie in 1984. No, I think it was the what, shortest run of any movie in the fucking night? 1980s. You're talking Silent Night, Deadly Night? Deadly Night, yeah. Three days. Yep. And, of course, there was the infamous uh, uh, review of it on uh, Cisco and Ebert, too. Yeah, fuck that bullshit. He, they gave the producers fucking addresses out. We talked about before, but... And fo- Phone numbers, right, too? Phone numbers, yeah. Yeah. Which you can't get an uncut version of it on YouTube nowadays. If you do, it's pulled immediately because they don't want that to be part of their legacy. But fuck you, it is. Mm -hmm. Very true. But the movie itself... It's a fucking tragedy of Shakespearean levels. <laughs> no, really. Outside of the last 20 minutes, you feel sorry for this motherfucker. Yeah. Going to see his crazy grandpa, and his grandpa tells him that Santa's going to kill you if you're a bad boy. And then all of a sudden, seeing this motherfucker in a Santa suit kill your fucking parents. And then mm-hmm. go to a Catholic orphanage with the world's most sadistic fucking nun? Yep. And you wonder yep. why he turned out fucked up. Exactly. And then they put him working as a goddamn Santa after his fucking trauma because the nun's a cunt. Yep. It's a very hard-to-watch movie. Not because of the violence, just because of how not bad you feel for the killer, for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Have you Have you ever been able to get through it once? Yeah, I was able to get through it once. How bad, uh, how hard is the first 45 minutes to watch? It's tough. It's tough. But I also think it's over overdone. I think it's pretty much overdone. It's too fucking you know, mean. It's too over the top. It's too fucking but that's mean. mean. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. That's what I'm saying. It's too fucking mean to the main character. Well, no, I'm saying that, that it's too over the top, the acting. I didn't buy it. Oh, yeah, once he goes on the killing spree, it's like a totally different movie. Over-the-top, silly, campy, 80s, typical slasher shit. Yeah, but I mean, even before that, I thought the acting, the nun was way over the top. I didn't, I, yeah, it's it's not good. It's not a good movie. Now, the second one is purposely made a comedy, and it's funny as shit. Yeah, and, and and then, of course, the third one is directed by Monty Hellman, which is sort of odd, to say the least, and it's actually sort of blah. <laughs> yeah. 
But then there's the to- toy maker, and we love the toy maker. Yeah. That's what five, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, November's got a lot of shit in it, and I do mean shit. Ah, okay, good. We have first. We have mission in action. Is a good movie, but it's Mission in Action Two. Does that make well, sense? Well, at least there's Eminent Walsh in it. Yeah, yeah. it's just oh, a it's not a bad movie. It's just that it was filmed to be Missing in Action Two, and the movie that is Missing in Action Two was filmed to be Mission in Action One, but Missing in Action Two was done first. And they had a film hold to fill, so they took Mission in Action 2 and retitled it 1 and put it in the slot for 1 and then put 2, which is the better film, and then... Have I confused you yet? Yes, let's just move on, please. <laughs> That's is good. I thought this movie come out in the summer, not November. Uh, no, it came out in November. By the way, I fucking this love this one. This is one that I suspect Paul went in going, oh, this is going to be shit. No, Can't I happen to know that there was two people in it that I loved, so that wasn't a yeah, problem. Yeah, I know, but besides that, you're like, oh, this movie's going to be teeny bopper shit. And then yeah, I that's thought what the I same thought. thing, too. Yeah. And then I watched Night at a Comet, and I'm like, Jesus, is this smart and cute. And odd and wonderful and just, yeah. And Mary Warnoff has one of the best scenes in it where she talks to Kelly Maroney and she actually tells her what's actually going on and and, 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 and then kills herself. You know, I mean, really, really interesting role for her. Jeffrey and Lewis the great is great. Payoff is- you can't hear the payoff unless you get a really good copy of it because she said, you know what happened? Some idiot forgot to close the vents. And then yeah. you've got a clear copy. You hear Jeffrey Lewis off in the background. Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's also... There, I mean, it's about shopping. It's about all sorts of shit. Uh, but it's also about playing Tempest. The old yeah. video game. And there, there is a beautiful gag right at the end of the movie. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Well, I it's a lot of fun. In most movies, they would just have the teenage girls just pick up guns and just start shooting the shit out of everything. Right. In this one, they find guns and Kelly Maroney picks them up and they go... They're not as good as the ones Daddy has. <laughs> it's it's more fun than it really has any right to be, and thank God for that. Oh yeah, this is on my must see list. If, if you're going this through this, this is a very fucking good. Oh, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. 
it's a great little movie. Great little movie. And next is one of those movies that really shouldn't fucking work. And it doesn't, Fuck but God we it love does. it anyway. And that You are talking about Night Patrol, I hope. Night Patrol, yeah. Yeah. Whenever uh, there's a joke about cockfighting that Carl makes, there's a 90% chance he's probably stealing it from this movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It says, I have to talk about this movie. I have, okay, Stephen, okay. let me talk. Okay, go ahead. So, one thing is I'm, I'm friends on Facebook with Murray Langston. And Murray Langston is best known as the unknown comic from... Uh, um, from the Gong Show, and uh, Jackie Chung- Kong is the wife of Bill Osco. Bill Osco was a uh, uh, softcore and hardcore uh, uh, sexploitation director, and so they all decided to try to do something uh, that they could get out there that that uh, they could make some money on that was R-rated. So they pulled so Linda have- Blair. God bless her. Pat Paulson, Billy Barty, and Murray Langston, who who also helped on the screenplay. And it's basically a real dirty version of um, of uh, The Cops, the the one with Michael Winslow. What's the name of that series? Police Academy, the first one was dirty. This is like a dirty, raunchy, already version of a Zazz comedy. Right, exactly. And it's and it's not good. Okay. This, we're Fuck not you. talking great quality here, but okay, let me finish. Let me finish. It's it's cheaply done, you know, not not greatly filmed. But when it hits, and there are about three or four places where it hits a fucking home run in this movie, and for those three or four places that it does, it's well worth watching. Give give her credit. I've been trying to get Jackie Kong on. I've been trying to get Murray Langston on to talk about this film, and they they don't want to do it, unfortunately, and that's a shame. Well, Jackie Kong's been on so many podcasts, I can understand why. Yeah. But I do love it. It's like, there's a cockfight in the alley, then it just shows two guys slamming their crotches against each other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. take Murray Langston on that, please. So I know that's a Marie Langston joke. And, of course, the sex scene with Linda Blair where he has his unknown comic mask on, and then he has a smaller bag on his penis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a that's a good movie. one. I like that one, actually. Yeah, it's it's you can't say it's a good movie, but God damn it, it's fun. It's fun. Oh, God, Supergirls. No, skip. Go on. Move, okay. move on. Beverly Hills Cop is a weird one, too, because it was originally supposed to be a Sylvester Stallone vehicle. Then it wasn't. And then Stallone decided he wanted to do it again. Then he didn't. <laughs> And then they decided, fuck you, we ain't going to do it with her. So for some reason, they picked Eddie Murphy. 
Well, basically, it's not some reason. Eddie Murphy came to them and say, hey, I got enough money. We'll we'll put it under my name, along with Brookheimer, but I'm going to star in it. Do you want to do the movie or not? That's exactly how he approached it. Yeah. And it was good. The first one is great. The follow-up's not so much. And true or false, did Beverly Hills Cop change forensic science forever? Well, uh, since you're giving me that weird a question, I'm going to say yes, but I have no idea why or how. When the screenwriters were kids, they would take their thumbprints and put it on matchbooks and stuff. And then they would put super glue. Well, you remember that whole thing with the super glue and them melting it with a match and then... It's sticking to the fingerprint. Right. And they uh, did that in their script, and the cops were like, I wonder if that would really work, or is that just a movie gag? Surprise! It did! And that's how we got a lot of modern fingerprint analysis. Nice. Oh, and Mythbusters did the banana gag, and no, it doesn't work for real. Oh, that's a shame. It just shoots the banana out the tailpipe. Oh, well. One Bronson dream. Henshaw made a whole career off of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. And he was good. He stole every scene he had with Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah. Especially that one scene where he improvised and knocked Eddie Murphy on his ass. I don't like black men. Why not? You racist? No, their schwingies are too big. It hurts my tush. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see Eddie Murphy just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And next is a movie that everyone who loves 2001 hates. And I think they're full of shit. But I love this one to death. And that's 2010. It's beautiful. It's great. It's intense. It's everything we loved about the last 40 minutes of 2001. But it's not nearly, it's not the, the head trip. It's not no. a head trip that 2001 is. And so it's much more um, uh, anchored in science. And, 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 and it'd be interesting to see what, 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 what Miss Vicky would, would think of this one. She uh, loves it. I talked to her about it before. She loves it. Yeah. It, it's different than 2001, though. It is definitely different than 2001. Yeah, this is true science faction, as I call it. Yeah. If you've read the book, the book is a bunch of horseshit. It's about how the Russians and everybody's in a, come on, people now, love one another. Everybody come together and hold your hands on together right now. <laughs> Just imagine a whole movie with the Russians and everybody being so friendly and all that. Well, you know, I mean, you know, don't. The way they set it up, it's 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 the Russians and the Americans are doing this together, and and they actually do get along rather well. I mean, there's some 
issues, but not, you know, they don't want to kill each other or anything like that. Yeah, that's the reason why they work together is they don't want to die. And there's that exactly. whole scene where they're like, we're on the verge of nuclear war, blah, blah, blah. You have to go through your different ships. You know, the Cold War stuff, this is right before the Cold War ends and the Cold War stuff works. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why this isn't regarded higher than it is, because it's good. I like it. It's solid. And, and, and again, Scheider, Lithgow, Helen Mirren, Bob Balaban, Care Delay, uh, Douglas Rain comes back as the voice of Hal. It's it's solid. It is definitely solid. Care Delay's back as, uh, what's his name? As the main character from 2001. Like yeah, I can't yeah. yeah, Bowman. That's it. Thank you. And I love how they don't explain what happens in 2001. Mm. No, they don't. All they say is, what's going to happen? Something wonderful. But your ass better get the fuck out of here in 24 hours. <laughs> yep. It's one of those, if you like science fiction, real hard science fiction, I like it. Mm-hmm. But if you like your pew, 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 don't watch it. No. No. And here's two films on paper should have worked great, but they don't. Yep. I mean, we're yeah, like, don't. we watched in there. We watched the posters. First poster come out. Eastwoods, Reynolds, together in one fucking movie. Oh, shit. This gonna be good. But City Heat doesn't work. Not at all. And listen to this cast. Listen to this cast. Rip Torn, Irene Cara, Richard Roundtree, Tony Lobianco, William Sanderson. All supporting players. Yeah. And it doesn't work. It's because, like I said, uh, Eastwood and because for a buddy comedy to work, one guy's got to be the the giver and one's got to be the taker. And neither of them wanted to do that. Both of them wanted to be the alpha male. And you can't have two alpha males together. No. I have a straight man. Yeah, you can't have two straight men. No, you gotta have you, you gotta have straight men and and comic relief. Uh, Madeline Kahn is good in as usual, but they cut out the best line that really would have explained what the problems is with the movie, and uh, neither of Clint Eastwood or Burt Reynolds didn't like it. You know the scene where she's sitting in a table and they're fighting with each other and she looks and says, why don't you shut up? Yeah. After the 20th take of them not, them not giving in to each other, she looked at him and said, why don't you just two fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I would have been... I, if they had kept that in, that would have probably just took the movie into goodness. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> and this one really is an almost 
good movie, but it's still a fucking mess, and that's the Cotton Club. Now, supposedly, they just came out with a redux on it. Yeah, which is like, I heard now that's like, good. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. I need to. No, I, I same here. But I did want to say there is a redux. And, the, and let's be honest, the Cotton Club has one of the best romances ever in a fancy romances in a, in a different sort of way in a Francis Ford Coppola film ever. Okay, explain. I wanted to see the movie of fucking Fred Gwynn and Bob Hoskins' characters. I didn't give a fuck about yeah. the rest of them. Yeah, really, I agree. They were so And, of course, good uh, don't forget Alan Garfield either in this. Yeah. He's part of but, that, too. Those three guys. Those three, I wanted to see their movie. I didn't want to see Richard Gere. I didn't want to see James Remar overacting. I wanted to see (laughs) those Fred Gwynn and Bob Hopkins. They're great. And from what I heard, the new cut has 20 minutes more of Bob Hopkins and Fred Gwynn. Nice. Nice. And there is a good movie to be told about the Cotton Club. That wasn't it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and uh, Carl, I got, uh, I finished uh, uh Funko Pop set this weekend. You did? Yeah, I got Fade Rayosa and the Chase Fade Rayosa or Naked Fade from that one scene. You can't look at it without thinking of, uh, let me see his name here, da-da-da. Kenneth McCaughlin going, beautiful fade, oh fade. (laughs) (laughs) And that is David Lynch's brilliant disaster dune. Yeah. Oh. And of course, there's there's all all the word is is that David Lynch brought in a five-hour cut that was fucking brilliant. But there's no way that Rocky L. Lorientis would have released a fucking five-hour cut of Dune. Nope. So they cut it down to about one hour and 45 minutes, and it's an incomprehensible mess. Yep, it is. It is. But just listen to this cast. Francesca Annis, Leonardo Chimo, Brad Dorif, Jose Ferrer, Linda Hunt, Freddie Jones, Richard Jordan, Kyle McLaughlin, Virginia Madsen, Everett McGill, Kenneth McIlan. Jack Nance, Sam Phillips, Jurgen Prognow, Paul Smith, Patrick Stewart, Sting, Dean Stockwell, Max von Sydow, Alicia Roan, Sang Young, Alicia Roan Witt. And Sean Young. Yeah. Everybody is so fucking good from this movie. And I've got the DVD. That's worth about da, 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 uh, about eighty to a hundred bucks. It's a steel book, but it has the 
three-hour-plus TV cut, and God, does that extra footage help. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much good here that... But I do agree, there's no way in hell you could have gotten a five-hour cut release, but who would try to make a two-hour version of Dune? As complicated as that book is. There's no fucking way to do it. And, of course, if you take a look at Sci-Fi Channel, how many of those uh, three-day miniseries did they make? At least two. Yeah. They cover a book. Yeah. I didn't say they didn't suck. I'm just saying, look what they did. They took three days to tell a story. Six hours. I would have watched a five-hour cut of it, but there's not enough of me in the world. Exactly. What did you think of the two-hour cut when you got to see it? Uh, It made no fucking sense whatsoever. Gave me a headache. Seriously, it gave me a headache. I mean, Dune is a very slow-paced story. And the extra hour of footage really helps speed up the story. Well, you know, the one thing that I did like about the movie is Freddie Jones. I fucking love Freddie Jones in that movie. Oh, it's two for Howard. Yeah. Love her. Oh, Patrick, Patrick Stewart, everybody is great, too. There are just so many quotable lines. Mm-hmm. Why don't you want to yep. practice your blade play with me? I don't feel like it. I am not in the mood. Mood? Moods are for cattle and lovemaking. <laughs> yep. I mean, Everett McGill, god damn. If you notice, uh, uh, David Lynch took a lot of the best of that cast, and one, Kyle McLaughlin went on to Blue Velvet, which was next. Right. And then he took Everett McGill and Kyle McLaughlin and put them into Twin Peaks. Yep. Which Wes Craven saw, and he was having trouble casting one of his movies, right? That's true. And then he seen Twin Peaks, and he's like, I want them both. Wendy Roby and Edward McGill. Yeah. And you should get people under the stairs. God, they're so good in there. Mommy, he hurt me! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're wonderful. There's so much fun. I love that. And here's movie, a movie that Carl probably loves just because it's a religious movie, even though it's a piece of shit and that's massive. No, no, no. You can no. Just, just move on. No, move on. you like it because it's religious. You said any movie religious no, tone is no, good for you. No, there are certain so religious movies I don't like. Good. This is one of them, and let's move on. I'm not kidding. Move on. <laughs> I know. I got you nailed to the wall, boy. <laughs> <laughs> And next is the movie that had to come out this year. There's no way, and it should have gotten Best Picture nominations, Best Actor, Best Actress, but it did get Best Supporting in 
I think he won for it. Not sure, but he should have. And that would be Michael Radford's version of 1984. God, Which to me was is the best version ever made of this film. Yeah. This, this uh, book. By far. Best film. And Richard Burton is just fucking amazing in this film. Oh, God, yeah. I love how friendly he is during the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. But when it comes time for the worm to turn, Jesus. Yep. Oh, yeah. John Hurt is so good in this, too. And Susanna Hamilton, who plays uh, uh, his love interest, uh, Julia, is really good. And I don't know much about her, but, but man... This movie, this movie hit me in the solar plexus. I saw this again in New York at a theater, and just was just gobsmacked at at how good this this film was. Seriously. Yeah, people really forget that 1984 is pretty much a meme now. Everything about it, you know. Uh huh. People actually forget the, how great of a great bleak sci-fi book it is. Oh, yeah. And this movie version is just perfect. It is. Very, very much so. Very much so. And why did this not get nominated for Best Picture? I don't know. I I I don't know either. I don't know either. And the funny thing about this is, Michael Radford is is one of those directors that does really good work, but people don't even can't even say what movie he did other than 1984. Um, I just wanted to to, to give him a real shout out here. Um, El Postino, which is a great film, Dancing at the Blue Iguana. He did a wonderful version of Merchant of Venice. Uh, and and uh, one of his uh, later films uh, is uh, The Music of Silence, which I happened to see uh, not too long ago. And it's really wonderful. Wonderful with Antonio Banderas. And he does a lot of films that are music related. So, uh, of course, I'm, I'm very interested in that, too. Uh, but, yeah, this is a great film. Well, it makes sense now since 1984 really had two scores, which is the one that he wanted. And that's the one that's on the Criterion Blu-ray and is the standard version nowadays. And the one the studio added to it back then, which is a very... It works. Both work. But it's a very bizarre fucking score by the Eurythmics. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, they they wanted to 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 get the youth into into the movie, so they figured we'll do the thing with <coughs> the Eurythmics. But the original score, I think, is much better. I think it works better. Yeah. Well, he's a director that that cuts to the music. Right. Exactly. Very much so. He cuts to the music. And you remember last week, uh, Mora was talking about how boring a passage to India was? Yes. 
(laughs) (laughs) And I agree with him. God, was that movie a dry, boring piece of shit. Moving on. (laughs) Now, this one's just We love you. We love Philippe Mora. Yeah. And this movie is just fun, and that's Runaway, which I think we talked about last show. Yeah. Yeah. And next is the John Carpenter film that the, that Columbia Pictures thought was going to be bigger than E.T. And they were wrong. <laughs> I like Starman. It's a great little mood piece. But that's all it is. Yeah, it, it's a little too trickly for my t- taste. A little too trickly. Uh, yeah, it's hard to try to make I mean, a sweet little movie, and it works. It's just that a lot of people are expecting the next E.T., the next Close Encounters, the next Star Wars. Not a 70s mood piece. Right. True. Let's see. True. And this is an odd little film that fell under the cracks, and it has a small cult following nowadays, but not as big as I think it deserves, and that's Alan Parker's Birdie. Oh, fuck, man. I love this movie. And Matthew Modine is fucking amazing in this film. Seriously amazing. Yeah. It's not your normal film, but that's another reason why it works so good. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and, uh, one of Nicholas's Cage's most normal roles... Matthew Modine is given the, the, the quote, crazy role in this as a uh, uh, Vietnam vet who uh, basically has uh, PSD, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And then also, uh, he said he's a bird. He said he's a bird. That's why they call him Birdie. And Nicholas Cage meets him when he comes back to Vietnam and is he's basically in the body cast throughout the whole fucking movie. Yeah. And it's great, it's unique, but I can understand why someone would be turned off by it because it's a very quirky little film. And it's dark, too. Oh, God, yeah. It's dark. It's and the movie dumb. Birdman with uh, Michael Keaton right. rips off the ending of Birdie. That's what I heard. I've never seen Birdman, actually. But, yeah, I've heard that. And next is the first movie to get rated APG-13, but it didn't get released in November, and that's The Flamingo Kid. That's a movie. Eh. Actually, it's one of the better Gary Marshall films. That's not saying much, but it is. And next is a very funny cult comedy, which is funny. Fuck you, it's funny. 
Johnny Dangerously. That one has a big cult nowadays, and it's fucking hilarious. I think the boat left, and I'm still on the island on that one. Sorry. <laughs> it has a great song by Weird Al at the first of the movie. Now that it does have. That much I'll grant you that. And Joe Piscopo has some of the funniest fucking lines ever. Mm-hmm. My mother shot me in the back once. Once. <laughs> yep. And Peter Boyle is good. You know who... It's so is Dom DeLuise. Dom DeLuise did make me laugh. What? Dom DeLuise made me laugh in that moment. Yeah. And you know who Peter Boyle... You know, they point at Peter Boyle and say, You know who that is? No, who is he? He's your your stereotypical Irish gangster that's always in these movies. (laughs) 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 The best Irish gangster... Uh, uh, joke I've ever seen is in uh, um, Death to That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'll and don't forget all. Richard Dimitri as the guy oh, with yeah. the bad Italian accent. Yes. You fucking ice hole! What'd you call him? <laughs> an ice hole! But he's an asshole! <laughs> That's what I said! <laughs> <laughs> You ought to try that again. It's aged well. It's funny. Okay, I'll try it again. I'm willing to try it again. You're like, eh. And I can bring up, right now, the next movie is proof that Johnny Johnny Dangerously is good, and that is, you will say, move on real quick, Mickey and Maude. Oh, God. I'd rather have Harold hard to believe that Dudley Moore could fuck one beautiful woman and ranking, but fucking two and marrying them? No. And he nearly gets killed by Andre Rusimov in that movie. And Andre is a giant, is he not? Yeah, Andre the Giant. At the end, when he found that he's screwing around, Andre picks him up with one hand and holds him in the air, going, Do you want me to kill him, boss? Nah. Not now. <laughs> okay. I'll kill you later. Boom. <laughs> 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 and yeah. one thing about Andre, he had a great, in the movies, he had great comic timing. <clears throat> he did. I agree. I agree. But moving on, we're in December, so we're almost through with the year. Let's see. There's only one okay, more, right basically. This movie is actually good. It surprised me. It shouldn't be with uh, Diane Keaton and Michael and Mel Gibson at their, one of their bassinets. Mrs. Soffel. Mm-hmm. Well, part of that reason is the director. The director yeah, is an Australian, Armstrong. and she's wonderful. She's wonderful. She's still she's still uh, 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 directing, uh, uh, but uh, she did my brilliant career. 
uh, Starstruck, Mrs. Sopple. Uh, now, she did uh, uh, the concert video of uh, uh, Dylan's 86 True Confession Tour called Hard to Hit. Yeah. Uh, the Last Day of Shane New, Little Women, uh, Charlotte Gray. I mean, really fine director. And Mr. S- and Mrs. Sopple is based on a true Australian piece of history. Yes, it is. And it has that Australian touch that we just love in movies. Mm-hmm. It's a good little film, and the interesting thing is, it was filmed in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it was. That was filmed in and Pittsburgh. And it has Ariel Quinn in it and Edward Herman. Yeah. Good little, good little film. Let's see. After rehearsal with Ingmar Bergman, also came out in 1984. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, I'm looking here at a little bit of the foreign stuff. Uh, uh, Ballad of the Little Soldier by Werner Herzog. Right. The Bay Boy with Keith Sutherland and Liv Ullman, which is not that bad a movie. The Bostonian. A little film to come out of Texas that has one of my favorite lines of their movie, where this one guy, well, it has two of my favorites. The first one is this one guy is walking to meet this guy who's hired him to kill somebody, and his hands broke, his fingers broke, and the guy yells at him, Hey, you broke your pussy finger! Okay. And, of course, the greatest inline ever in a noir. Roy, I'm not afraid of you anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. When I get to hell, I'll make sure to tell him. And that <laughs> is the Cohen's blood simple. God damn, did that movie change shit up. Mm-hmm. Even though it's pretty much straight to VHS, that movie changed the game. Mm-hmm. Now... Uh, I got one that came out in 84 that I went to see here in New York. Uh, We mentioned uh, earlier that Bill Patterson was in a film. Bill Patterson is the Scottish actor. He's still acting today. And he is in this wonderful little crazy film directed by Bill Forsyth called Comfort and Joy. And it's about a radio disc jockey in uh, Scotland who gets involved in uh, uh, competing ice cream truck wars that are uh, uh, both uh, different uh, gangsters uh, run them. And it's and it's it's just odd and it's wonderful and it's just silly and odd. Have you ever seen Comfort and Joy? Carl? Yes? This is not about ice cream. This is about <laughs> fucking life. <laughs> and, and, and and the other thing is the the uh, 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 soundtrack is by Mark Knopfler. Yeah. Any of Bill Forsyth's hey, films are sweet. 
pieces of insanity. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're wonderful. My my favorite being Local Hero, but they're all good. And by the way, another movie came out that we love so much. Ooh. Directed by Neil Jordan and starring yeah. Angela Lansbury. The Company and of Stephen Wolves. Ray. Do you know? Yep. Company of Wolves. People were like, what the fuck is this? Really, werewolf fans couldn't wrap their heads around this movie when it came out. No, not at all. Not at all. And I will admit, this is a hard film to really wrap your head around, and that's why I like it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, here's one for you. My first Cable Ferrar movie I ever saw. What? And I saw it. No, I, I think that was actually the first one I ever saw. And then I saw Miss 45 later. was was uh, Fear City. With Tom oh, Barrett and Billy yeah, Dean Yep. Oh, and here's one. This is one of the first HBO films ever. And it's fucking great. And it's Draw with Kirk Douglas and James Coburn. <laughs> oh, it's fucking great, and it's got a great little twist at the end. Mm-hmm. And it has one of Lars von Tier's first movies, the Element of Crime. Oh, and here's one they didn't mention. One of the meanest fucking movies I've ever seen. The Evil That Men okay. Do by Lee J. Thompson. And that's, that's of course, uh, Charlie Bronson. That's yeah. Bronson, right? Yeah, that's the one where they hook up the guy's uh, testicular region up to a car battery. Yeah. Oh, and here's one of the best <laughs> short films to come out in 1984. Okay. And yes, I'm admitting I like a Tim Burton film, and that's Frank and Weenie. Okay, so I got one. Uh, I'm a little ahead of you now. And uh, that would be the hit. Stephen Freer's film. Oh, God, yeah. Film with Terrence, John Hurt and Terrence Stamp. Yeah, and Ray Winston, too, in that. Just fucking great. I saw that, and I fell in love with that movie, and, and that was the film that really turned me on to uh, Stephen Frears. Well, I'd already and, seen uh, The Long Good Friday. Okay, right. Uh, another one that came out that was that wasn't mentioned is the Ice Pirates came out. Space Herpes. <laughs> <laughs> Ice Pirates is a lot of fun. It's it really is. Stranger than Paradise. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That was definitely an art film, but yeah, that was the first time we got, uh, what's his name in a movie? Uh, Tom Waits. Yes. Oh, don't forget Love Streams came out, too. John Cassavetes and Gina Rollins. Yeah. Came out. And Henry V with Marcello Maserani and Claudia Cardinale. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's that's the Saperoli one. Yeah, and one of the most racist movies ever, just the way you are. Yep. It's the Oh, one here's one, one that I Olio know that you were I, I know that who you hides were, the fact Let me finish okay, you, my rant. Sorry. God damn it. I know you were in the the Stephen. Go first. It's the one about the girl with polio who fucking who's fucking embarrassed to be disabled. So she puts a cast on her leg, and I wanted her to go burn in hell all through the movie. What is this? Just the way you are. Why are you even mentioning that piece of shit? Because it's a racist piece oh, of shit that Lord. brings up my disabled racist part, and I want it to burn in hell, and everyone involved in it. <laughs> I want it on the record. Well, okay, then I got one, too, that I want to burn in hell. What? And I know you were in the theater for this. At least I hope you were. Meatballs yeah. Part 2. No, I was smart enough to dodge that bullet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, fuck you, ain't watching that shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and we did talk about and Mike here's Murder. Here's one that the anime fans will be crazy about, and that's Mac Ross. Do you remember Love? Oh yeah. And Love Letters with Jamie Lee Curtis. That one's a kinky little movie that doesn't pay off in the end. Oh, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind came out, too. Nausicaa. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. The Ninja Mission. Bye. The Ninja Mission. The only ninja movie made in Switzerland. Oh, oh, here's one for you. What? A private function. The one with my, Michael Palin and Pat Maggie Smith. Yeah. With the pig. That's yeah. a lot of fun. That's we a lot of fun. We talked about that before because I screwed it up with another movie. But, yeah, that's a fun one. Here's one I just like the title, even though I've never seen it. Strangler versus Strangler. <laughs> okay. Ah, uh, but we've got to talk about this one. Okay. And and uh, we have to talk about this. Think of a film about Richard Nixon. Yeah. That's just one actor throughout the whole film. Oh God! And that yeah, actor that being came Philip out this year, Hall. didn't it? Uh, yeah, Secret, Secret Honor. Honor. I want to see that. Hold recommendations on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to see that at the Thalia. And along with Secret Honor, they played the checker speech of Nixon, which was the first time I'd ever seen the checker speech. Um, Secret Honor is just magnificent. And you should absolutely see that movie, without a doubt. Yeah, fantastic. And here's a sweet one from Russia, one of their best fairy tales, and that's the tale of Tsar Sultan. Yes, 
Agreed. And we're getting close to the end. Ultraman story. An Ultraman movie. Nothing wrong with Ultraman. And Under the Volcano, which is good. But this is one of uh, John Houston. This is right after John Houston stopped giving a fuck about making anything except what he was interested in. Right. Oh, and here's one for you. One of Jackie Chan's movie with Samma. What? Wheels on Wheels. Oh, fuck yes, that is got his fucking best fight ever between Jackie Chan and uh, Benny the Jet Yuquandes. That's the one where halfway oh, through the fight they get so exhausted that they just sit down for three minutes. Nice. And so, where uh, Benny the Jet uh, puts out five candles with the wind from his fucking kick. <laughs> nice. Why nice. did that not get a wide release in America? We would have ate that shit up with ice cream and sprinkles. <laughs> yep. <coughs> well, there, there's one and more there's I need to mention before we green move off. Uh, yeah, that's exactly where I'm going because i got to talk yeah. about this. I saw this in the theater where the green ants cream, and it's uh, set in Australia. And you know who it stars? Who? Bruce Spence. Ah, gyrocopter, that prick. (laughs) And he's wonderful in this. You know who else is in this? Who? Um, Jack, uh, what's his last name? He's in almost every film, uh, Australian film of this era. Oh, Um, I can't think of his last name but anyway it's a hell of a movie and it's about they're they're, they're, uh, drilling out in in the uh, out in the wilderness and and they're going to go over sacred land of the aborigines and it's so all about you know uh, um, David Guyapil is also in it uh, who um, uh, Aborigine actor, but it's a really good film. Jimmy Blacksmith. Yeah, Jimmy Blacksmith. But really, really fine film. Uh, I'm going to try to find who that other actor is before we get off. But yeah, what do you think of 1984? Oh, yeah, it was a good year. What do you think? Was it better than you thought it was? Oh, Absolutely. I didn't think that uh, Blood Simple came out that early. Yeah, Blood Simple was 84. Yeah, that was a movie that did decent theater, but once it hit VHS, god damn, did that really movie just explode. But then Mm -hmm. thrillers like that were like prime VHS meat. Yeah. Yeah, good. There's so much I yeah. love about it's... that thing, like uh, Dan Hedaya's character crawling across that field after uh, he's been shot, and then it just shows uh, the other guy walking up behind him, dragging that shovel, mm-hmm. and him trying to get the back of his car seat clean, and the blood keeps oozing through. 
Mm-hmm. It's just one of those you kept feeling sorry for them because they keep getting deeper and deeper in the shit. <laughs> yep. And M. Emmett Walsh forgetting his fucking keys. <laughs> By the way, I, I I just want to go back to where the Green Ant stream for a second. Uh, it was Norman Kay was the actor that I was thinking of. Norman Kay. Yeah. And he's in uh, uh, Bad Boy Bubby and, and uh, uh, numerous numerous stuff uh, in yeah. Australia. Uh, um, he's in Turtle Beach, uh, Boundaries of the Heart, uh, Warm Nights on a Slow Moving Train, which is a wonderful film. But yeah. Yeah, just wanted to go back and, and say that also, okay? And I think we've uh, covered 1980 80 through 82 pretty good. On your show, we did 1980. Right. And I know we've done 1982. Yep. I don't think we've done 83 yet. No, we need to, next time we go around with this, we'll do 1983. Okay, fair enough. This was a good year. There was a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. And we're really starting to see the indie films really really start to pop up. Yep, agreed. Right now they were playing in what do you call them, uh, revival houses or... Uh... Yeah, exactly. It wasn't until exactly. the, the big three of the 90s that the revival houses became art house theaters. Yeah, very much so. And what do you have uh, planned this week over at the DL? On, I have to figure it out yet, but a week from Monday, uh, we're going to do a show with uh, Daniel Kramer. And, uh, 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 well, actually, no, take that back, with Noel Vera and Bill Reynolds on movies... Uh, uh, that we hate, and and popular movies. Popular movies. You know, uh, uh, so we'll be talking about certain ones. I can certainly say one of the ones that I will be mentioning is the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> I and can that's guarantee you're that. A idiot. Well, I fucking hate that movie. Well, I fucking hate that you fucking hate that movie. Oh, good. I don't care. <laughs> I really don't. Ain't it funny? We could just have fucking hate and have like a 20-minute argument. <laughs> I fucking hate and this I'll movie. Fucking hate, you fucking hate that movie. Well, fuck you. I fucking hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you're silly. Did I ever say you're silly? I'm not the one who wrote the review... For to for to hell it can, to hell it came and to hell it can go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which is a <laughs> wonderful thing. Yep. And don't forget Amazon. Oh, Carl, we talked about it last night. What did you think of the Comfort of Strangers? Uh, I need to see it again. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, it's a hard film to wrap your head around, isn't it? Yes, it is. Very much so. Very much so. 
But I can't but say it's good. You can and it's good. And it's shorter too. That, that, but uh, I can't Crystal really say too much about it. Too. I can't say too much about it until uh, until I see it again. I really can't. Yeah. I, I need to see it again and really focus. Can you see why it pretty much vanished back then? Oh yeah, without a doubt. It's it's odd. It's not normal, and <laughs> and uh, it is. It's hard to figure out what's going on too. Yeah. You know, it's um. What's the word I want to use? Uh, I guess dense. Maybe might be the right word. I'm not sure. Obtuse. Obtuse. That's what I was thinking. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Very obtuse. And with that, we'll see you next week. And what we got planned here as well, we're going to take you. Tomorrow is our Memorial Day show. And we're going to be doing uh, Sam Fuller's Steel Helmet, so don't expect a happy, happy, joy, joy show. Nope, that's going to happen. Not by a long shot. And we will be posting uh, Phase 4 this week. And on Thursday, well, we're going to be doing our goddamn best to record it, and I will fucking kill every cannibal in the Congo to do it because this movie's leaving Criterion on the 30th, I think. I don't think it is, but I don't know. Is seconds. And we're going to talk about its horrible fucking message, which, with the way everyone reinvents themselves online, with their photo with their photo-changing things and their name-changing things and their personality-changing things. The horrible truth of the whole matter. Yep. No matter how much you change yourself, you're still the same inside. Absolutely. It's a great film. Seriously great film. Yeah. And with that, good night. And sorry you couldn't be here, man. Just take care. And I love every one of you to listen to the show. And right now we've had 9,369 listens. When we hit 10,000, I'm giving shit away. I'm going to have a, I'm gonna make a big box of shit that I'm going nice. to send as a contest gift. Very good. I didn't even Very think we'd good. get 500 listens in this whole thing. Did you? Yeah, seriously. I mean, I mean, what's happened uh, and how this has blown up has just been great. Seriously. Seriously. Just, and I always just remember to finish up 1984 with the best line ever from 1984. Carl, where you are? Just remember, wherever you go, there you are. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks a lot for listening.